Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you very much, Dad, for reading that verse, or Doug. We are excited about the prayer walk that's coming up at the end of this month. And I just want to highlight it for a moment, just to remind you, don't forget to sign up. Go to hillcrestmj.com. You go up to the events part and down to prayer walks, and there'll be a place where you can tell us that you have... Um, that you're meaning to participate. And you can pick a partner. Think of someone you want an excuse to spend some time with that week in May so that you have a chance to go out together and pray. Or if you're not able to go out, you could drive or call each other and pray. That counts too. And then pray. If you're with us in person this morning, you can actually pick up one of these in the entrance. And it's just a prayer guide. It gives you some themes for each of those days of that week, um, May 16th to 22nd. If you sign up online, you can receive a digital copy of that or let us know that you need one put in the mail if you prefer that. So we're excited about how the Lord wants to impact our city when we adopt it in prayer. Well, we've been on a journey through 30 beliefs, practices, and virtues of our faith in a series we called Believe. And we actually started this series back in September. If you remember, we've had a few breaks in between. But maybe you've joined us to learn more and strengthen your own faith or maybe you're exploring Christianity for the very first time. But either way, this is a great series for, series for you to be part of. We still have a couple of books of Believe left. If you haven't had one in your hands and you'd still like to jump in, contact us. We'd be happy to get that into your hands. So the first 10 weeks of Believe, we talked about what we believe, our core beliefs as followers of Jesus. In the second 10 weeks, we talked about our core practices what do we do? And now we're in the last section, and this series we're talking about who are we becoming? It's the B part. We've talked about love, joy, peace, and last week Pastor Steve talked with us about self-control. This week we're going to jump into hope. These first five of the B, these all relate to our vertical relationship with God. Love, joy, peace, self-control, hope. The next five weeks after this and the last five weeks of the whole series, they're going to have to do with this horizontal relationship, how we act that out in relationship with others. So watch for that starting next week. So we're going to jump in to chapter 25 on hope. And our key question today is how do I deal with the hardships and struggles of life? We use the word hope regularly, don't we? I hope I get a promotion. I hope I pass my exams. I hope to buy a house someday. I hope this baby sleeps through the night. I hope to retire in a tropical destination. I hope the pizza's still hot when it gets delivered. I hope to get a bigger bonus, a smaller waistline, a restful night. We hope for a lot of things. What is one thing that you're hoping for this spring or summer? If you're joining us online, you can just type it into the comments. I'm hoping for, well, I'm personally hoping that every camp that Kettleston is planning right now will be able to happen this summer. That's what I'm hoping for. We hope for a lot of things, but we really have no control over most of them if we admit it, right? And that's why we say it with this tinge of uncertainty. Well, I hope so. We aren't usually sure whether our hopes will ever be realized. It's kind of a kind of hope that's a little bit more like wishful thinking. That's the way we use the word anyways. Our deep need for hope sometimes leads us to falsely put our hope in unhealthy things. False hope causes people pain, and possibly they're even building or risking for something that might not even happen. And the Bible actually identifies a pattern of things that we as people have placed our hopes in that only disappoint in the end. Riches, 
other people, which is bound to disappoint, idols, any object that we put above God, and human governments or systems, all things that we've been known for as humanity to place our false hope in. And then what about hope that doesn't happen, hope deferred, something that's been put off or postponed? It's kind of the sign of the times we're in, isn't it? Hope deferred, simply put, it's when your dream dies, or maybe it's still there, but it's really laced with fear now. Symptoms of hope deferred are discouragement, depression, doubt, cynicism, grief, maybe even suicidal tendencies. Hope deferred produces resignation and fear and unbelief. It produces a loss of passion and a retreat from life. It imprisons our soul. It's really shattered dreams. There was a study in California that found that people who experienced high levels of despair had 20% greater occurrence of narrowing of the arteries than optimistic people did. In fact, it was the same degree of increased risk that you would see between someone who smokes a pack a day and a non-smoker because of despair. Experiencing hope deferred doesn't make you bad, doesn't make you weak or unspiritual. It means you're human. There's a song that I've been listening to a lot lately by an artist called Evan Craft, and a couple of the lines popped into my head this week, and I have always liked this line, hope deferred makes us weary, but I know, God, you hear me. Fear is, not, fear is just a matter of perspective, because you're not done yet. How do you cope when you're out of hope? We're going to look to the story of Abraham and Sarah for a minute, or Abram and Sarai, depending on where you jump in the story. Their names do change. Abraham and Sarah experienced all of these symptoms, discouragement, confusion, unbelief, disillusionment, bitterness, cynicism. And the author of Genesis in Genesis 12 describes how God worked in Abram's life and how Abram responded. It says this in Genesis 12:1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Abraham showed faith. He listened to God, and he acted on what he was told to do. But Abraham and Sarah were very old. She was far too old to have a child. And then the waiting started for about 25 years until it became completely impossible and unrealistic. Yet they held on to hope in God's promise. God did eventually give Abraham and Sarah the son that he had promised in Isaac. He kept his promise. One of my favorite lines from the Jesus Storybook Bible, I don't know if maybe you've read that with your kids, is this. So Abraham trusted in what God said more than in what his eyes could see. Isn't that good? God gives us a different kind of hope. We find that almost every New Testament author writes about hope. Now, here's an interesting project. I suggest Pastor Laura, when she retires, this should be a good project for you, Laura, to go through the New Testament and highlight all the places where it talks about hope. But the book that we're going to look at most this morning is the book of Hebrews, and specifically in Hebrews chapter 6. 
The book of Hebrews, although we don't know the author, we know that it was written around the first century after Christ, within those first hundred years or less. And the context of the letter, like others in the New Testament, was to Christians who were experiencing persecution. It was written to a house church or a small group of Jewish Christians, probably living in Rome, which was kind of the heart of the persecution of the Christians. They had experienced oppression of Claudius. We know later Nero comes into play, and there's just devastation for Christians. The persecution affected every aspect of their lives. The author of Hebrews writes and includes himself in this. He writes about we who have fled. There was economic, physical, emotional, and religious persecution for followers of Jesus. And that's the context in which the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And our key verse in Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. If you're following along in the Believe book, you'll have read Randy Frazee is the author there who writes little blips between the scriptures. Really, it's large chunks of scripture is what you're reading. But he writes this, we simply cannot live without hope. As our key verse states, Christian hope is an anchor for our souls. It stabilizes us during difficult seasons because we know this is not how our story ends. It's rooted in our belief and trust in a personal God. Oh, we talked about that way back in the fall. In his salvation and in eternity. If we believe these truths in our hearts, then it will produce a hope that doesn't disappoint. So the Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Christian hope is anchored in the actions of God in the past, the promise of God's presence now, and the confidence that God will keep his promise in the future. God always keeps his promises. He has the power to help us. In fact, in that Isaiah passage, Isaiah 40, it says, those who hope on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's probably the most familiar section of that passage as we read it. But I'd encourage you, if you haven't read the whole chapter in Isaiah 40, go back this week and read it. It's full of comfort. It gives such great perspective of this God in whom we can put our trust and sort of our context in the the big scheme of things. The whole letter to Hebrews is offering encouragement to believers on their Christian journey, knowing that difficulties are around every corner, especially for this group that he's writing to. If you ever find yourself struggling to keep pressing on as a believer, or maybe you feel full of doubts, or maybe you just feel like you just want to throw in the towel as a follower of Christ, or you've become sluggish and responding as things happen in life, as responding to him, this section in the letter of Hebrews is for you. Because the same help and hope that's offered to its original readers is yours as well. All of us at some time or another will find ourselves needing a stabilizing anchor for our souls. Let's go back to Abraham. In Hebrews 6 and verse 13, it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. That seems like a funny thing to do. Why would God do that? Well, God didn't make an oath to Abraham because God needed that. He did it because it was something that Abraham understood. He understood what that meant. And he he did it because it was significant to Abraham, not because God needed to do it. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. He did this so that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, there it is, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Faith is like Abraham stepping out, not knowing where he's going, but he has faith in God and God's promises because God can't break his promise. That's part of his nature. Hope is is absolutely knowing what's down the road, walking on in the hope of where the road leads. Abraham had God's promises as the destination, even though he didn't know what all he would encounter in that journey towards God's promise. So faith is like stepping out and not knowing, and hope is actually knowing. I read a story this week about a woman who was terrified of flying. She wouldn't get on a plane for anything. If you could not drive there, she was not going. Until the day when the first grandchild was born way across the country. Well, suddenly you could not keep that woman from getting on a plane because she had motivation. She had a reason to go. She knew even if she was terrified the whole flight and felt terrible the whole flight, she knew who she was going to meet at the end of that flight. She was going to meet that grandbaby, and there was no stopping her. The nervous journey getting on that plane, that's like Abraham's walk of faith. We don't know what the circumstances will be along the road, but it's hope. It's the certainty of who is going to be on the other side of that journey, on the other end of that journey, that motivates us to tackle the nervous journey here on earth. So our key question is, how do I deal with the hardships and struggles of life? And the answer is, I can cope with the hardships of life because of the hope I have in Jesus Christ. I can cope with the hardships of life because of the hope I have in Jesus Christ. To better understand biblical hope, maybe we need to talk a little bit about what it's not. It's not hope in our current circumstances because we know that they might improve or they might stay, even if we hope they might improve or they might stay the same, putting our hope in them is a bad idea because there's no guarantee This season more than ever, I think we understand that. There's just no guarantee, even if we wish and hope in that sense. But Christ offers us something more because Christ's hope is for eternal life. In his letter to Romans, Paul writes in Romans 8.24, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. As Christians, we must place our hope on the promise of what God has told us will come. And that promise is that Jesus is on the other side of this life in eternity. I'm going to change gears for a moment here. I was thinking about boats, because we're going to talk about anchors. And what is the biggest boat that I've been on? What is the biggest boat you've ever been on? 
maybe a canoe, a motorboat, a ferry, a cruise ship. Any cruise shippers out there? Oh, there's a few hands here in person. I really want someone to say a battleship or an aircraft carrier. I'm hoping we'll have some military friends. Oh, there's one hand there that will say, oh, two hands there. Type in the comments, what is the biggest ship you've been on? I actually was kind of sad because I was thinking for myself it was a ferry. And then I remembered that we actually went on a pirate ship supper cruise on our honeymoon. So a pirate ship is the biggest one I've been on. It was a small pirate ship. What does a boat have to do with hope? Well, it has to do with hope because we're going to talk about an anchor. And what does an anchor do if we have an anchor of hope? Apparently, it was the ancient Greeks who invented the equivalent of an anchor. It was the early form of an anchor. They loved to take long journeys, and they'd often find themselves in remote places where there wasn't something to tie the ship to. Before the ancient Greeks, ships, they would often tie a large stone onto a rope and throw it over. But, and it sort of worked to a point. But no matter how heavy the stone was, it could still drift in the ocean. So that the Greeks improved on this by making this bucket of sorts that they would fill with rocks and throw that over. And because of the bucket, it would actually dig its way in to the bottom of the sea and keep the ship in place. Now, over the years, obviously, the design of anchors changed into an anchor that's more like a, you know, the Popeye anchor shape that we see um, with hooks on the sides. It's a heavy metallic object that hooks on the sides that dig into the bottom of the sea or the ocean um, so that it can keep something in place. Now, I don't know a lot about boats and anchors, but I found this part fascinating. Did you know? I did not know that the weight of a storm anchor is roughly twice the weight of a working anchor. So if you just need to hold that boat still as you fish or maybe do other work, a smaller anchor will work. But if you know that there's a chance you're going to be in a storm, you need to be way more prepared, doubly prepared. Likewise, if you're anchoring to something other than hope in Christ, any of those sources that we mentioned of false hope, money, other people, systems. You might manage or cope for a while, but if a storm comes, you need a storm-sized anchor. I think we've been in a global storm. We need a massive size anchor. Whatever you turn to to give you hope is what you're anchored to. Fishermen know that when they throw an anchor out of the boat, you don't throw it into your neighbor's boat. Excuse me, can you just hold this for me? Well, that would be silly. Now you're both going to sink if something happens, right? But that's essentially what we're doing when we put our hope in temporary things. We're just throwing our anchor into that boat, into that neighbor's boat. Max Lucado puts it like this. Is what I'm hooked to stronger than what I'll go through? Is what your anchor hooked is hooked to stronger than what you're going to go through. When you're forced to choose between the circumstances of life and the promises of God, which one will you choose? It boils down to two major beliefs. And the reason most people don't have sustainable hope is because, one, they either don't believe in the promise of the future or they don't believe in the one making the promise. Biblical hope is anchored to knowing the promises of the future, of life in eternity, and believing the one who's making the promise. Because remember with Abraham, your promise or your oath is only as good as the character of the one making it. 
Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. This hope is firm. There's nothing that can topple, topple this hope. Paul had the same idea in mind in Romans 8.38. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He just throws out every single thing he can think of that might come against us and says none of them, none of them can separate us from the security and intensity of Christ's love. We're safe with an anchor of hope. It's also secure. It's inwardly secure, firm within itself. In other words, we don't have to worry about this hope suddenly going bankrupt or there being a scandal and there not being this hope anymore. It's thoroughly established and firm. This hope, our soul's anchor, is trustworthy because of the place where the anchor rests. Now, here's where the picture breaks down because. If we were in a boat, obviously, you're going to anchor to the floor of the ocean. But there's shifting sands. In the upside-down kingdom of God, where things don't happen like we expect them to, it's as though that anchor is being hurled towards heaven and anchored there. Because nothing here could anchor it steadfastly enough. Is that a word, steadfastly? Strongly enough. But it's being anchored in heaven. There's this phrase that Jesus enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It's the reference to the Old Testament tabernacle or the temple. The curtain separated the holy of holy place from the place where priests could be. And the high priest could only enter into that holy of holies once a year with a sacrifice for the sins of Israel. It was a terrifying job because he was in the presence of God and needed to make sure that he carried out his duties exactly. But once the duty was done, he would leave. He didn't stay in there. He just went in through the curtain and came back out. But that's not the case with this anchor of hope that the author of Hebrews describes as anchored behind the curtain because it is so solidly hooked that nothing can change it. It's as though our anchor for the soul is fixed securely through the work of Christ. Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross and darkness hit in the afternoon, that the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn and it wasn't ripped like this, like somebody stood there and tried to rip it, which they couldn't have done because it was massively thick. You couldn't, it wasn't like these curtains. It was ripped from the bottom down. The Holy of Holies was exposed because Christ did the work of the ultimate, the high priest forever, as Hebrews calls him. The high priest forever, for eternity. The work was done. Now, forever, there was a, there was a way to access the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Here's what Christ wanted us to know. He has gone ahead And in fact, in John 14, verse 2, these are Jesus' words. He tells his followers, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you so that you may be where I am. In the Bible, hope is no longer passion for the possible it becomes passion for the promise, that promise of eternity with him in heaven. Hope is only as good as the power and the character of the one who guarantees it, just like 
when God gave that oath to Abraham. True hope is found in his promises, and his character is rock-solid, trustworthy, and true. What God has promised to all believers in Jesus enables us to endure life's hardships. The ultimate promise of God is our future resurrection. The hope of this promise trumps all momentary trials, anything that we go through. If we have this hope, then we also have the comfort that comes with us. In Isaiah 40, actually the beginning of that passage starts with comfort, comfort my people. If we have hope in Christ, we can take comfort in the person of God. Just as the Lord encouraged Abraham to continue on in faith, Abraham was called out of idol worship to follow after the Lord. And he did that, believing in the promise that the Lord had made him, that he would bless him and make him a great nation, and that through him all peoples would be blessed. When he struggled with God's fulfillment of the promise, the Lord assured him. And in fact, it says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed in the Lord and that faith, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. The writer in Hebrews keeps reminding struggling, persecuted Christians of Abraham because he was, Abraham was living in, a much less, in much less light of revelation than they were themselves. Christ hadn't come yet in Abraham's day, and yet he continued on in faithfulness because God is faithful and can be trusted to accomplish what he'd promised. So we can take comfort in the person of God, but we can also take comfort in his promises because it is impossible for God to lie. That's part of his character, part of his nature. We can also take comfort in the presence of God. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Have you memorized it yet? Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. In the catacombs of ancient Rome, archaeologists discovered a number of early Christian symbols. One of them was the ictus, or the fish, kind of goes like that. One was a shepherd, and there was an even more common symbol, and it was an anchor. The catacombs were where Christians hid from Roman persecution and where they buried their dead. It seems a little odd, doesn't it, that a symbol of firm and secure hope would be in such a place of hiding, in a place of death. But maybe not so odd when you remember that their hope, even as they were being persecuted, in the face of that persecution and death, their hope rested on the memory of an empty tomb, a risen Savior, and a coming King. Their hope rested there, and ours can too. I'm curious, how long has your hope in Jesus been the anchor for your soul? If you're online, you can type in the comments and tell us, is it weeks? Is it months? Is it years? Decades? How long has it been? You can, if you're in the house, just whisper to the person next to you. You can whisper, how long has it been that Jesus has been the anchor to your soul? So if this is true, then what difference does hope make in the way that I live? What are the effects of hope? Let's talk about that. When we hope in God's promise, the effect on our lives is profound. Even if we're going through difficulties, hope gives us strength to continue. Hope in Christ gives us a different place to look, a different place to fix our attention. On a day-to-day basis, we're focused on the physical world we live in. We've got bills to pay, problems that are waiting to be solved, and people who are demanding our attention. Hope 
of a future where God already resides encourage us to keep looking forward and to fix our eyes on him, not on all the things around us and our circumstances. It's a different perspective. That passage in Isaiah 40 describes this amazing, awesome God who just spoke and the world came into being. And who, by comparison, it's like ants. I was thinking about this this week. It's like, you know, the ants, they might be very well organized and have their own little kingdom and armies and all that sort of thing. But if the ant decides, I'm going to take over the world, we would just laugh. Really, that's a fun plan because somebody might just step on them in the next moment and that's the end of their plan. Sometimes our schemes and plans must look like that to him. Oh, that's cute. You're going to take over the world when he is the creator of the universe. It gives us perspective. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of faith. Through our hope in Christ, we're actually able to do two things. We're able to see the hope of heaven while we still see hardship as well. We don't have to deny hardship to admit that there is hope. We can see them both at the same time. Remember the grandma on the plane? She still knew that the flight was going to be rough. She was still probably going to feel nervous the whole time and hold her breath, but she knew who was on the other end of that journey, and that was what she was counting on. We see differently because we know that there's something more than the suffering we experience. And we see that God is present with us in our suffering. He's doing something in us, using the circumstances to form Christ-like character in us and to help build our faith. So hope in Christ gives us a different place to look. It also gives us a different way to think. Our minds can be our greatest enemy or our strongest ally. How we think affects what we will do, the choices we'll make, and ultimately who we'll become. In a mean-spirited, politically charged cancel culture, the person who has an attitude of hope and encouragement will not only be a healthier person, but will also draw others to Christ by their very being because it will stand out in stark contrast. The Apostle Paul describes this to us in Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We can get caught in this spiral of despairing thoughts, and that's where we need to halt and focus our attention on what we have in Christ. And hope in Christ gives us a different way to live. We actually act differently if you've been around somebody who's without hope, they can quickly bring you down. Maybe they're, they're just, everything is doom and gloom, and they just want to hide out and disconnect, and things are only going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. Oh, that's exhausting. But those with hope, they're optimistic, not unrealistic, optimistic. They know what's happening in the world. They know hardships and suffering are part of life, but they also know how the story ends. Spoiler alert. They know how the story ends. They know that their life is here. Here is just a mist that appears from a time and then vanishes like James writes. No matter what is happening now, there's something more glorious awaiting for those whose hope is in the Lord. 
if we anchor our hope in Jesus, we live differently, and we can see it. We have a friendship with Jesus. Our hope in Jesus begins with accepting him as Lord and Savior and then walking with him as a friend. We live with hope because we have a relationship with him. We also persevere together with those who suffer. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. (laughs) We persevere together. He doesn't leave us alone, and we don't leave each other alone. Sometimes at my house, I say, just leave each other alone. But we're talking about community here, not pestering. We persevere together. We need each other for encouragement and examples of hope lived out. And thirdly, we identify with those who suffer near and far. We don't have to look very far these days to see people that are suffering from loss, grief, sickness, unemployment. Last Sunday night, Pastor Steve read... At the prayer summit, he read 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And boy, did I ever need to hear that that day. I was very much so. Not my, my focus was not this way that day. My focus was here in fighting kids and dirty dishes. And this is what he read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. His plan is that we take this comfort and hope to those around us. It's not just for ourselves. For millions of Christians around the world, the hope of Christ has driven them to survive mind-boggling odds and die peacefully, peace in their hearts under unspeakable circumstances. Even Christian martyrs today, if you looked up in the news, you would find Christians who have been killed for their faith in the last month. And there's all sorts of stories that would never hit the news, right? But you can find those still today. The longing to see their Savior on the other side fueled their hearts to endure to the end. Not a wishy-washy, uncertain hope, but that certain hope of heaven because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come to your final day here on earth, do you want to face it in terror or do you want to confront it in hope? The great news is that you can face death with hope, But the even better news is that you don't have to wait till then to experience it. You can experience hope right now. The Psalms are a great place. If you're feeling hopeless or despairing, read the Psalms because that's it's up and down, up and down. Hope, hopelessness or despair, but then fixing your eyes on the Lord. Psalm 33 says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees a vision of a new kingdom, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and return of the tree of life and the river flowing down the middle from the throne of God. He sees this end outcome and resurrected bodies, and he ends the whole scripture by saying, come, Lord Jesus. Have you ever said it? Have you ever thought it? Usually we say, don't come yet, Jesus. I'm not ready. I've got other things I'm interested in. I still want to do this. I still want to go here. I still want to. I still want to. I'm sure I never said, come Lord Jesus, in my 20s. I don't know if I ever said it in my 30s, but boy, I know for sure I've uttered it even out loud in my 40s. Come Lord Jesus, when we're faced with the brokenness of the world and great darkness, if we have hope in Christ, we know that his coming is something that we look forward to, not something that we fear. We're going to end with this. 
Maybe you have been feeling a lack of hope lately. And you need a restoration of hope. I'm going to just give you a couple areas that you could start. And then we're going to pray. Praise and worship him. There is power in praising him and worshiping. Do you have a hope playlist? I've started a hope playlist. Songs that inspire hope in me. If you can't sing along either because you can't sing or you just can't sing, just listen. Soak it in. Worship him. Read his word. Psalm 107 says he sent out his word and healed them. God's word can be like medicine for a hopeless, despairing soul. If you don't know where to start, lay down on your couch, close your eyes, find your audio Bible first before you close your eyes, and then put on that Isaiah 40 that we read and just soak it in. Come to God boldly in prayer. Coming boldly to his throne of grace isn't something fancy. Just come and pour your heart out. Doubts and worries and everything. And finally, practice biblical confession. I'm not talking about confessing your sin. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Look up scriptures that describe God's love, his faithfulness, his healing power, his mercies, and declare them over your heart. It's like saying the same thing that God says about you, agreeing with what God says about you, breaking the power of lies that we've believed by the truth of God's word. If your mind has been stuck in a despairing loop, you need to stick your stick in the, in the spinning wheel to stop it of God's word, the truth of God's word, to bring that to a halt. Say out loud what God says about you. We're going to take a moment and pray together as we close. And there is a Mother's Day special coming, so don't turn the TV off yet. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's been decades you've been a follower of Jesus. But you say, wow, I think I have been anchoring myself to something or to someone other than to Christ right now. That my hope, my anchor's been in someone else's boat. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father... I confess that I've anchored my hope in temporary things, not in you. I repent and I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Today, I choose to anchor my soul to you. Fill me with a new hope of heaven and a fresh view of my life on earth. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and trustworthy and that your promises can be trusted. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I realize that not everyone in the room or watching online might be a follower of Jesus. But maybe, as we've talked about hope this morning, you've thought, boy, I need that. I need, I need to be attached to something that doesn't shift. You can pray and start a journey with Jesus today. I'm going to pray with you. There's no magic words, but it could be something like this. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus today as my Lord and Savior Help me to live a life that honors you. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Stay tuned for Mother's Day. I like helping my mom. You like helping your mommy? Helping my mom too. Wash the dishes. Me too. What do you like about your mommy? Playing with her. You like playing with her? Yeah. What do you like about mommy? I like playing with her and wrestling with her. Wrestling? Mm -hmm. Happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day from Lloydminster and we wanted to say the thing that we love about you the most is that you're still amazing as amazing to um, me as an adult and still as there for me as you are for all of the kids and an amazing grandma and we love you so 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 much <laughs> happy Mother's Day mom love you. happy Mother's Day love you. hey grandma just wanted to say happy Mother's Day all the way from Albania love you the one thing I really like about Mommy is, you always give me lots of cuddles. I love my mom because she helped me grow and learn more about God. One of the many reasons why I love my mom is because of her consistent faith, even during difficult times. Love you, mom. The number one thing that I love about my mom is how she gets these random bursts of energy in the middle of the day. Like, she'll just start chasing after the dogs and running through the hallways, living room, kitchen, like the entire house. Um, yeah, love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Dear Mom, how many ways do I love you? <clears throat> Let me count the ways. Number one, you keep me clean, and you feed me every day, and you love the way I laugh. Number two, you're willing to drive me to school every day, knowing I'll have a great day, and you get paid for it. Number three, you love the way I laugh, and we share so many lovely and awesome moments together. And last but not least, number four, you've always wanted me to have the same curly hair as you. Love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love going to get Slurpees with you, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. I love my mom because I like how she sings, and I like her being weird, and I, I like to draw with her, and I like to be weird with her. Nora. Yeah. What do you love about mom? Um, kissing her. <laughs> what does she do that makes you laugh? Any silly jokes. <laughs> silly jokes? Do you like to sing with mommy? Yeah. What's your favorite song to sing? Mm. Uh, to black. Okay, <laughs> say, I love you, mom. Happy dog. Say happy happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy yes, Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. We'd love you. Wish you were there. Yes, you. Say happy Mother's Day. Say happy happy Grandma Day. What I love about my mom is that she cooks and takes good care of us, and she always makes sure that we're feeling okay. What I love about mom is that she makes us laugh and she takes good care of us. What I love about my mom is that she 
always is caring for us and makes sure makes sure that we're in good health. Um, that she's wondering, beautiful, and that she takes good care of us. That she is wonderful and kind, and that she loves us so much. What do you love about mom? Mom, mom, mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do I love about my mom? Well, she's always been there for me. Well, I wasn't exactly the easiest one to raise, and uh, got a great relationship, and wouldn't trade it for the world. All right, love you, mom. I love my mom because whenever we're sad, she gives the best hugs and kisses. I love you, mom. I love my mom because she's very supportive of me. I love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day. Mom, thanks for all the support over the years, for the prayers, for the encouragement, and most of all, for loving my family so deeply. I love you very much, mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love my mom because she taught me that trying to be normal is really boring. So why not just be crazy? Because it's just more fun. I like that she's a good problem solver and that she can make any time into a good time. I like when she hugs me a lot and she, she takes good walks with me. I love my mommy because she's taken our girls every Friday night for the last 25 years. Love you. I go vroom vroom for grandma. Grandma's the cat's pajamas. <laughs> Grandma's the bomb. Gma makes the best popcorn in her hand cranker popcorn maker. Pop. I love my mommy because her because her so beautiful and because her play that Elsa game with me. I love you, Mommy. I love you, Mommy. Can you say, I love you, Mom? Mommy. Say, I love you, Mommy. Me, Mommy. Callie, does Mommy make you happy? Happy. Say, Happy Mother's Day. Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom and Jessalyn. Um, you both are such amazing moms. I love how you love on our girls and just make them feel so special. Um, Jessalyn, you are just an amazing mom. I'm excited for what this year is going to bring us. Um, and Anna, just thank you for how much you love all your children and your many grandchildren and just how special you make us all feel. Hope you two have such an amazing Mother's Day. Love you. What I like about Mom is snuggling with her in the morning. I like to be um, crying green. I love about to snuggle in her hammock and have some love in the morning. I love about mom because she gives me kisses every night. I am so inspired by my mom. She has just shown me what it's like to push through and have um, integrity and a good attitude and strength through a year like we've had. She works in healthcare. It has not been easy, um, but she's pushed through with a smile on her face and continues to show love to everyone around her. And I'm just so inspired and so proud of her. I love you. What do I love about my mom? I love my mom for so many reasons. I love that she's caring. She's kind. She always takes care of me and everyone else in our family. But most of all, I love my mom because at the end of the day, I always have someone to pray with. I love you, mom.
I love my mom because she cares about the things I care about. I love my mom because she's thoughtful. I love my mom because she's kind. Matthew, what do you love about mom? Oh, that's what gave me quirky. I love about mommy that she takes care of us. Happy Mother's Day. What do you love about mommy? Because it's Mother's Day on Sunday. Um, you like to color with her? Um, I like, I like that she helps provide for the family and cooks meals and, and helps us a lot with when we're crying or when something happens to us and happy Mother's Day. We love you, Mom, because you teach us to love God. Woo! One thing I love about my mom is that she's a good cook. And I love about her mom that she always supports us. I like my mom because she takes care of me. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you because you brag to all your friends about your my accomplishments. Hi, Mom. I love you because you keep up with te with technology and you keep up with me. Hey, Andrea. Happy Mother's Day. I love you because you are excellent at uh, looking for bargains. It's like your superpower. Yeah. Bowden and I both love our moms because they taught us to love books and to read lots. Yeah, you say, Mom. My mama. I love my mom because she's super hard working and is always compelled to finish what she starts. I love my mom because she's smart and she's a really good cook. What my mom makes me laugh is tickling me. That's so fun. I like that. I still love the top, but she just keeps tickling me. Guess what? What mommy does makes me laugh, Church. Well, mommy makes me laugh by tickling me, and that makes me so laugh when I was a baby. That was so making me laugh. And also, what about Jeep? Three, see? And also, guess what? I love you, Church. Goodbye. Well, it was wonderful to be with you here uh, today. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. I uh, just want to say again, uh, if you want to take a moment and pray with somebody uh, today, uh, you're welcome to do that. You can come forward and uh, someone will meet with you here to pray with you. Other than that, have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the day and we'll see you next time. See you later. Someone close to you, someone at the church, or even...